from Acts 4. We don't have an Old Testament reading for the sermon, just one for time, and we do have a responsive reading that included the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, our call to worship, a call to confession, so let your conscience be clear that we read from both Testaments today, even though we didn't do it the way that we normally do it. All right, so Acts 4. Starting at verse 13, going through 31, children, this is uh, one of the places where some of the apostles were arrested. They were beaten for preaching Christ, and then they continue preaching Christ when they're out. And you're going to see why they do that in this passage. Acts 4, verse 13 to 31. Now, when they, those who had arrested uh, Peter and John, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, They marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name, that is in Jesus' name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard... They raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Amen. And then from the gospel, Matthew 21, verses 1 through 13. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, And a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. 
All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them and set him on them. A very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he, that is Jesus, had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Advent is a, it's a time of celebration. As the note in your bulletin says that we rehearsed earlier, but it is a certain type of celebration. It is celebration mixed with anticipation. Children, you know how it is when you're excited for something, you're eager for it to come, and you're partly anticipating and partly celebrating. You get uh, filled with joy, but also you prepare yourself because you are uh, planning to celebrate something important, something that is uh, high and lofty. We are, as Christians, to both celebrate and prepare for the future because of what has already happened in the past. We are to celebrate and prepare for the future because of what has already happened in the past. So what is it that we are preparing for? Well, it's the second coming of the Lord Jesus. What has already happened? The first coming of the Lord Jesus. Advent is historically a time of fasting, much like its spring counterpart called Lent. One prepares you for Christmas. One prepares you for Easter. And I do encourage you to fast from ad, fast during Advent. Because Advent is not only a season of celebration. Remember, it's a special type of celebration. It's also a season of self-examination. Self-examination as a means to further prepare yourself for that second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The readings and prayers and sermons and hymns of Advent will be such that we join the anticipation. It's like we are longing with those who have always longed as the members of the true Israel. Those who have faith in Christ, we hope for his second coming. And we make ready for the king who we know is coming. We would not be wrong to say that the ultimate point of the birth of Jesus is to make man able to stand before the judgment seat of God as righteous. The ultimate point of Jesus' birth is to make us ready for his second coming. Because without him, we cannot be ready. 
We cannot be made prepared. This is an impossible thing to refute. The birth of Jesus occurred. The Son of God was born that you might be made sons of God. And therefore, you will be numbered among those whom God is making ready for that second coming if you have that faith. Your response to Christ's first coming determines the result of your standing at His second coming. Don't forget verses like, 2 John 7, 1 John 4, 2, whoever denies that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh does not know God. If you deny that, you will never be made ready for his coming. And that doesn't just apply to you, it applies to anyone who walks this earth. If they do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and has come into the flesh, they will go to hell when they die. Or if they live to his second coming, they will be cast there then. And upon believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, it's it's something, it begins to happen to you. Your entire life begins to be cleansed. Now this happens at different rates with different people, right? Some people are sanctified in more of an up and down way, right? Some people, you know them, they're just more steady, more consistent. We're all sanctified in our own way. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, we're being glorified from one degree of glory to another, right? Just as the temple had to be cleansed, as we read in Matthew 21, so we have to be cleansed. We receive Christ into our lives just as Christ was received into the temple, and we go through this type of cleansing as well. Jesus will see to it that we as the temple of the Holy Spirit, remember Paul says that, that we will be cleansed. The question is, and the question for Advent, is what does Jesus see in us, his temple, right now? Not only do individuals need to believe, they need to see themselves, as Paul says in Corinthians, as the temple of the Lord. So you could almost, you know how people like to read the Bible and they say, what place are you, what person are you in the story? You can count yourself today as the building. You are the temple that Jesus has come to cleanse. And like the temple of old, there you are a place where God manifests himself. He shows himself in his temples to clean them, to bring new life to them, to strengthen that which remains and much more. You see this in our epistle And our gospel reading this morning, Jesus goes into the temple. Was it ready? No, it was not ready for him. They were, that temple was largely led by those who rejected Jesus as the Son of God. It was led by the same people who arrested uh, Peter and John. Those same people that Jesus drove out of the temple, that he condemned with that word, my father shall be called My father's house shall be called a house of prayer. Those are the people who crucified Christ. Those are the people who arrested the apostles. They continue this pattern in in both of our readings. The apostles in Acts 4 are proof of what happens, though, when the Lord is received, when the Lord is honored, when the Lord is trusted, when the Lord is imitated, because they perform great works, storing up for themselves a treasure in heaven Forever. You see, this is the purpose as well of coming to the Lord's table, which we will shortly celebrate. You come as 
the people of God. You come as temples of God to partake and receive most intimately the Savior who comes to the temple. He comes to enter you, as it were, once again. Just as Christ promises to change, in a sense, the elements of bread and wine to a holy use, so too you in your receiving are changed, set apart, and made for a holy use again and again. Now some of the details in Matthew 21 leading up to the temple being cleansed are important. I want to consider them for just a moment. Jesus makes ready for his entrance into David's royal city. Indeed, we know that it was called David's city because it would ultimately be the son of David's city, Jesus's, Jerusalem. He sends out two disciples to acquire a donkey and a little donkey, a donkey and a colt, one for the Savior, and as the text tells us, one for the clothes as well. Now, the people in in Matthew 21, they appear to be a type of ready, right? They are outwardly ready in some sense, although we know that the same crowds that are singing his praises on this day are going to be singing his condemnation very soon. Nonetheless, they lay out their garments for him to pass on. They lay out branches, palm branches, most likely. They cry out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus is not the only person in Scripture who is treated like this. There's an example of other kings in the Old Testament having the same entrance. It seems like the people are ready, though. And yet, the city is filled with those who are asking, who is this? Their true condition is shown, though, in Jesus' survey of the temple. There may have been a remnant that was ready, and undoubtedly we know that to be the case because some among Jerusalem and the surrounding areas during Jesus' ministry received him. But the condition of the temple, the place of God's worship, and you can apply that image to your personal self as an individual temple and the body of Christ as a temple. Apply the imagery there. The condition of the temple, the place of God's worship, is the real indicator. Some understanding, though, is called for here because most people don't read Deuteronomy, quite frankly. And it's related to our reading from Deuteronomy last Lord's Day in the morning. Those who were selling and buying in the temple, the money changers, they were doing a necessary service. Because if you remember what we read in Deuteronomy, that if your animal, your sacrifice is too heavy to carry, you sell it, you make your journey, and you buy another one when you get there. Right? That was the service that these people were performing. They were helping people make their offering, present their worship. So what was the problem? I would say it's twofold. Most people say that the, the, the chief problem was where they were doing it. They were doing it in the wrong place in the temple. They were too close to the Holy of Holies, possibly. But another one comes in Jesus' condemnation of the place. At the very last verse that we read, you have made it a den of thieves. The service that they were performing was being done in a crooked manner. They were likely within the temple too close rather than within its outer courts where it would have been permissible to do these things, indeed required. It's also possible 
that they were driven out were making it difficult for the people to offer their worship to the Lord through crooked financial practices. Jesus does call it a den of thieves. They were stealing from God. They were stealing from God's people. Most importantly, of course, stealing from God. They were stealing his glory, prohibiting his worship. And we know that God is the one who will not share his glory with another. And he requires honesty in his house. Do you remember in the book of Acts, children, what happened to the two who lied before the apostles about how much they had made off of their land? They died on the spot. Psalm 15, we only read a portion of it. But remember, it begins, Who shall abide in the Lord's tabernacle? Who shall dwell in his holy hill? That's lofty language for who shall be received in God's worship? Who shall be in communion with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? We didn't read verse 5, but if you were to look at it, it says the person who's going to dwell there is the one who does not put his money out with usury. Interest. A certain type of interest. The one who does not take a bribe against the innocent. They will not be allowed to dwell in the Lord's tabernacle or in his holy hill. He that does these things, meaning the opposite of those, Psalm 15 says, shall never be moved. But they were moved, weren't they? They were driven right on out of there, cast out of the temple altogether. This visit of the Lord Jesus showed that they were not qualified to abide in his tabernacle or dwell in his holy hill. But there are some who were made ready, weren't there? Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Some who were made to understand what it is to have the Lord's house as a house of prayer. Those holy apostles of old, full of blemishes though they were, were brought into the house of prayer. They were given power from on high, just as Jesus had promised. And part of Acts 4 that we didn't consider... I didn't read it, but it was mentioned, was where this occurs. In Jerusalem, same place that we read about in Matthew 21, the presence of Christ was gradually being rejected there. But Christ would have his witnesses known. The book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles of Jesus Christ. He would have his witness known through his chosen men. The greatest enemies of the church in that day I would argue, are the greatest enemies of the church today. The religious elite, false prophets, false apostles. It was the case then and it is the case now. Those who claim to follow Christ, but when it's time to follow Christ, the enemy has more sway. They soften the word of God. They add to the word of God. Did you notice as we were working through it, it reveals something that was stated earlier in Acts 4. They were grieved that Christ was being taught. Grieved. Now, why would they care if Christ was not a threat to them? Because he most definitely was. Why do the enemies of the church today respond with grief at the teaching of Christ. It's so rude to say what you say about those people about Jesus. It grieves my heart to hear you call that person a sinner. It's the same type of thing. 
They claim to be religious, but they don't follow God. That did not, this persecution that they were undergoing did not ultimately damage those who heard the word and believed, though the apostles were in prison and groups were persecuted. As we know, the word of God is not bound. When you have the religious who's who of the day in Acts 4, the high priest and his family are gathered around at Jerusalem. This is not the high priest of Islam. This is the high priest of what was supposed to be the faith of the Old Testament. They were gathered against the Lord Jesus, against his own. The stone that they had rejected had become the cornerstone. The salvation in his name is the only salvation that was available then and is available now. They would have none of it. They preferred the times of corrupted worship. They preferred the times when the house of God was not a house of prayer. But those who were glad for the Lord's worship, those who were glad to be cleansed, see the temple cleansed and to be cleansed themselves, glad for the cleansing from the promises of God, glad for the hope of Israel. What were they given? Boldness. Boldness. It was the fruit of one thing. Right at the very beginning of our Acts 14 reading, did you notice it? The one thing that marked their boldness or the reason that they knew that they were bold. They realized that they had been with Jesus. They realized that they had been with Jesus. What a glorious meditation. They could just tell. They didn't believe in Jesus, but they knew because of their boldness. You see, this is the goal of all the Christian life. It's the goal of Advent, the goal of Christmas, the goal of every season in the church here is the reason for which you were made. It is the chief end of man. Rephrase, what is the chief end of man? It is to be with Jesus. What is the lesson to be learned in Advent? To be with Jesus, the need to be with him. You know, that sounds kind of modern and emotional, but it's just the Bible. You could tell that they had been with Jesus because as Jesus' second coming draws closer and closer, friends, that will be the only thing that matters. Will you be with Jesus or against him? And a question arises, how can I be with Jesus? By walking in his ways and doing what his people do. By walking in his ways and doing what his people do. Did you notice our, in our prayer at the beginning of the bulletin? We ask for God to give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and to put upon us the armor of light, the armor of God from Ephesians 6, so that in the last day we might rise to the life immortal. Help us to live in this way, O oh God. From our confession and assurance, We heard, he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, making no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Friends, this is a life of boldness. It is a life of readiness. It is a life of being with Jesus. 
It is the way that you show that you have faith, for a faith without works is dead, and it is no faith at all. You see, faith in Jesus Christ, resting in Jesus Christ as he is offered to us in the gospel, it drives you to a life of being with him, but it drives you to a life of prayer. Did you notice that in Acts 4? After they were let go, they returned to the brethren. They lifted up their voices in prayer. What do they use in prayer? They use Psalm 2. So when is Psalm 2 fulfilled? Then they speak of their enemies. They trust in the Lord. Their words show it. I would encourage you to read it again this afternoon. Maybe have two Bibles on your lap, one with Psalm 2 and one with Acts 4 open. The text says, when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And They spoke the word of God with boldness and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. A very simple application to close. Recommit yourself to what you see the apostles doing. Recommit yourself to prayer, to prayer. Recommit yourself to prayer with the people of God. Notice there's two aspects there. Prayer with the congregation especially. It's a way of being with Jesus. Just as praying in private is a way of being with Jesus. And we see when the congregation prays together in the book of Acts, Evidence of him giving his spirit when this happens. Acts 4 is not Pentecost. It's after. And he still gives his spirit in abundance to them. This individual recommitment that I'm calling you to about being with Jesus. You might say that the definition I gave of how to be with Jesus was kind of legalistic and works focused. But listen to these words of Christ from John 14. If a man loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him, our home with him. We will make him our home. If you love me and keep my words, Jesus says. How do you be with Jesus? Love him and keep his words. What about as a family and a church? My house God says, shall be called a house of prayer. Now, I know the Bible doesn't stipulate how much time we are to spend praying in our services. But if I had to hazard a guess, it would be longer than a few seconds. Longer than rushing through prayers. Longer than, you know, whatever. Another way that we could be with Jesus, and it brings us to the Lord's table, is the people of God celebrate the sacraments. And we have the promise that Christ will be with us, especially at his table. So I invite you, the first step you can make right now to recommitting yourself to being with Jesus is to go where you know he is, to go to the Lord's table, to receive him, to have faith in his name afresh, and to commit yourself to making yourself and those under your care ready for the Lord's coming. Amen. Let's pray.